You're Good listening. Evening. Oh. <laughs> You're listening to a prestigious production of Paramount Podcasting preserved for posterity. Yeah, beat that. Good evening all and welcome to a prestigious production of Paramount Podcasting preserved for posterity. Yeah, see, I I can't I'm not even going to try and top that. I'll go on. Oh, okay, here we go, here we go. I'm not doing the voice. <laughs> a prestigious production of Paramount Podcasting preserved for posterity. Smashed it. Smashed it. You did. That's, yeah, that's we've definitely that, got that's, an intro that's, that's there. The, I think we can all go home now. That'll do. <laughs> but I'm, I'm just throwing that in, unedited. <laughs> Please do. Welcome to a podcast of spurious morality. I'm Johnston, and this week I'm joined by Holly. Hello. And I am joined by Tom. Hello. Doing his best Jago impression. My best Jago. I'm doing this for the whole episode. Oh, God. Yeah, let's see how long that lasts. (laughs) Before my voice is dying. Yeah, you realise the Jago and Lightfoot episode's next week, don't you? Oh, that's embarrassing, Tom. No, I'm kidding. This is this is this is the Jago and Lightfoot this episode. This is the Jago and Lightfoot episode. This is the, the one and only, the definitive Jago and Lightfoot episode. Um, so let's get going. I'm just going to put a bit of a spoiler warning out there. Um, the talents of Wang Chiang may get spoiled this week. It's it's nearly fifty years old, so that's. It's kind of on you if you've not seen it by this stage, I guess. Uh, but we're also going to be talking about Jacob and Lightfoot at Big Finish, uh, including their own series and any other appearances they may have made in other ranges. So basically, the potential spoiler warning is for anything Jacob and Lightfoot have ever been in. Um, so Jacob and Lightfoot. Lightfoot. Jago and Lightfoot um, got... 13 and a bit and a bit more series at Big Finish Um, out of all of those series what would you say is the best one Holly? Uh, Well confession time I have only heard up to and including series 9 so (gasps) I know shocking hang on you've not heard them all time have you? No (laughs) (laughs) As I suspect. But nobody else knows that. Well, they do now. Uh, um, but of, of those... Right, I will do my best to not turn this podcast into a Leela appreciation podcast. But of those, 
probably either three or four, mainly for Leela, because I think she, I think Lou Jameson elevates absolutely everything that she's in, frankly. That's that's not uh, an unfair comment to make. Absolutely, uh, Tom. What about you? I'm going to say the exact same thing because yeah, uh, two, three, and four are amazing. Um, it's yeah, they're just Leela Le- Le- elevates. Obviously, you got Colin Baker as well, and it's just the whole the, the eight episode run. It just feels really just excellent. I feel like that's Jago Lightfoot at the the peak. Peak Jago and Lightfoot. Peak Jago and Lightfoot. I'm going to say something slightly different. Um, I've narrowed it down to two series, and you've got two series, so I get two series too. Um, uh, the series two, absolutely love the vampire stuff going on. I think David Collings is absolutely brilliant in it. Uh, and also series five, the proper fish-out-of-water one, which was <laughs> different and mad, and it's got perhaps one of the weakest episodes in it but at the same time as a series I, I really like the idea of Jago and Lightfoot being sprung into the future and sort of actually adapting to it quite well that is really surprising but I mean that's a <laughs> so what so what do you what do you like about series five then what did you what is it just the like why and <laughs> <laughs> um, well putting uh, the case of the gluttonous guru aside, which is an it's an interesting episode. Um, certainly, definitely not my favourite. Uh, but I really kind of liked it. Gets going. Um, the first episode, the Age of Revolution. Mm. It's actually for the first sort of half. It's not really a Jago and Lightfoot episode at all. It's um. It's a police inspector kind of investigating Jago and Lightfoot and what the big mystery behind them is and kind of piecing together that they're from the past. Um, and it was just quite interesting to have them introduced as these mysterious figures that were kind of on the periphery of it for a good chunk of it. Uh, I like the idea of Jago being on the telly. I absolutely think he'd have been on the telly in the 60s. Um and I liked the fact that we got uh, Duncan Wisby as a descendant of Saka, who was killed in the second series. So there's there's a lot in there to love. Um, and it is also uh, the closest Jago and Lightfoot ever gets to being a direct Talons of Wang Chiang sequel. Mm. Yeah, I I love... I love the Age of Revolution for basically all the reasons that you've just said. Um, yeah. And also also the fact that Timothy V calls his TV show the TV show. For some reason, I find that very amusing. I don't know why. I'm easily <laughs> pleased. Um, and I, I love the time jump on paper. I just feel like the Age of Revolution is actually the only episode that does anything with it and, like, all the rest. Yeah, I feel like if the other three episodes had kept that vibe, then I, w- I would have been much more positive than what I was. But the other three episodes were either Gluttonous Guru, which was, a, as we've said, an interesting episode. And then the other two just felt... I mean, as you said, it's a just it's sort of like a, a Talons of Wang Chiang sequel and it's it just feels very just standard Jake and Lightfoot fair, but with like out the setting or the like musical whatever but but it, it just it just took me by surprise that's all because i was i wasn't expecting series five but uh 
I can see the appeal, I guess. <laughs> I think when you consider there are effectively nine other series that are set in normal Jago and Lightfoot time, um, I, I quite like the fact that they did do something a bit different and a bit fish out of watery. And I know you guys haven't heard the later seasons yet, but it's they all get a little bit safe towards the end um i'd say um very much sort of there's nothing quite like that the the 13th series sort of does something a bit strange and interesting but again doesn't do as much with it as it could but yeah it's fair to say that as it progresses uh jago and lightfoot sort of does fall into this comfort zone you have the occasional episode that kind of pushes it in a slightly different direction does something slightly interesting mm. but in terms of like overall series storylines um they don't venture too far from the same format which i guess series five doesn't too much either but at least it's set 80 years in their future at least it's got some swinging like it's got an amazing theme tune like dun, 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 dun. The 60s version of the theme. Uh, I love that rebound theme. It's so good. (laughs) So anyway, well, we've spent an awful long time on my favourite. Let's talk about yours. Let's talk about series three and four and the addition of Leela. Um, Holly, do you want to sort of tell us a little bit more about why you love it? Um, Yeah, I mean, well, first of all, I think both of them... uh, the individual stories, I think, are pretty universally really strong. Um, the Man at the End of the Garden and Swan Song, I think, yes. are particular favourites of mine. They're both Series 3. Um, Beautiful Things as well in Series 4 is great. But yeah, I mean, as I said, it's it's Leela, I think, adds so much for me. She it just brings that, that fresh dynamic because she is so incongruous to the setting. Um... I think that's part of the joy of of Talons as well, is like there wouldn't have been much point in telling that story with Sarah Jane or Romana. Really, it's the fact that Leela sticks out so much. And like she's not stupid, she is very able to adapt. And you see her learn things in, in Talons about, you know, etiquette and Victorian values and blah blah blah. And yeah, there so... is some quite sly moments with Leela in the set where she's sort of like the sort of hint that she's sort of playing up to it a bit with like you know with the not understanding the slang and stuff. There's a, there was a couple of lines which I found quite interesting and made a scene. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sly, I guess. I think it's something Leela kind of picks up in the Gallifrey series, which this is set during for her. I think it's safe to say. I think so. Yeah. Um, and in Gallifrey, the, one of the big themes is her sort of not quite fitting into Gallifreyan society and even being pushed out of it a bit and sort of stigmatised. Um, and she kind of learns to play up to not being as clever as she is because everyone perceives her to be stupid, so she kind of plays stupid so she can easily get one over on people who underestimate her. Yeah, uh, And that yeah. certainly does carry across quite well onto Jago and Lightfoot, so I'd agree, yeah. And I like that she is smart and she could absolutely adapt if she wanted to. And she just, 
she chooses not to. She chooses to she chooses to like carry on being Leela essentially and and stick out, and it, she just goes with it. And I think that's that's why she's so great. And it just adds a totally different flavor to to series three and four, especially. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then, of course, in series four, we get Colin Baker as the Doctor as well. As Professor Black. Yes, Dark. Professor Dark. Professor it? Dark, that's it. Yeah. Uh, Claudius Dark. Yeah, uh, that's it. What a name. But he's actually the Doctor. <laughs> but he's actually the But I quite like how there was this mysterious figure called Professor Dark kind of being mm. seeded in the background of series three. And then when we yeah. finally meet him, Oh, it's the Doctor. What's well, Colin Baker? What? Yeah, did, I mean, <laughs> yeah. did anyone for a moment hear the end of Series 3 and think it's anyone other than the Doctor? <laughs> really? Well, no. um, I'm actually tempted to go and sift through the related threads on Gallifrey Base just to try and find one person who was like, no, he's playing a different role quite clearly. Well, there will have been one. They, they will, there will have been someone. <laughs> There's always someone. Yeah. That's if, if anyone's listening and didn't think that it was the Doctor at the end of Series 3 of Jago and Lightfoot, tweet us and tell us. I just love the idea that someone will get to like the end of Episode 3 in Series 4 and then just like having like an absolute like massive reaction. Like, what? You're the Doctor? Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this is amazing. What? Then again, there are some parts of fandom that are so kind of determined to not accept the inevitable but they probably do argue that it's not the doctor after hearing voyage to the new world like no he's still an imposter Mm. i will be convinced yeah um well i was actually gonna say it is it's quite a young sixth doctor in the which i found was quite an interesting choice it wasn't the uh because softy six was quite established by the time that uh, the box set came out, yet they chose to go for the quite a, a TV six doctor, which I mean I quite appreciate because I do quite like the the abrasive, you know, bashful six doctor where he obviously yeah, is, so. you know, he's quite rude at times. Obviously, he leaves them in the in the sixties. He's quite a a scatterbrain sort of thing, which I don't know. I just found I quite I found that added to the dynamic and it changed it from what the dynamic was with say the fourth doctor. Yeah, I'd agree. And I think the Sixth Doctor was absolutely the right one to use. Because um, at the time, Big Finish, I don't think they quite got Tom Baker yet. Um, so they effectively had five, six, seven, and eight. And out of those four, I think six is definitely the one to go with. Definitely. Um, it, it was sort of nice to see his sort of interreaction. Interreaction? That's the word. Interaction. Interreaction. Interreaction. Interaction and reaction to uh, Leela, because um, there was that kind of oh, it's you know my old friend. I get to see you again. I've regenerated, but I'm still the Doctor, um, which was great. And I think at that point, yeah, Leela had met the Eighth Doctor as well by that point, hadn't she? Um, but it, it's he it works so well with Jago and Lightfoot, and considering the only Doctor that had ever met them previously had been the fourth doctor i think yeah the sixth one was a good one to go for like that appeared in like the novels or the comics before or was big finish the first time the characters had really been had anything done with them um it's 
been probably about 20 years since I read it, but I think Lightfoot meets the Eighth Doctor in a novel. Is it The Body Snatchers, maybe? Oh, what, before no. before they'd done any big finish? Oh, yeah, Body Snatchers was not long after the TV movie. It was one of the first Eighth Doctor books. Oh, okay. Right. Um, I could be completely misremembering, and again, listeners, do tweet me to tell me how wrong I am. It was Lightfoot. <laughs> um, yeah, it was. It was Professor Lightfoot, not Professor Lightfoot. <laughs> Darn. Um, Very legally distinct character. Yes, totally different. <laughs> uh, but yes, um, I'm fairly sure Lightfoot does turn up in a novel, um, mm. if not Jago. Um, you are right, you are right about the, the Sixth Doctor, though. Like He's got that. He's got that turn of phrase that um, it just suits the whole Victorian era so well and like a a flamboyancy almost that it mm. kind of somehow it like it could Yeah, he really clash fits with in Megan. with that Victorian-esque yeah. era. Especially sort of Jago's eccentric theatrical world. 100%. I really love the uh, Jago's comment about how like, he knows that the Doctor would be a master of disguise. That just that really got a, a kick out of me. Especially when he manages to fool them with another disguise later on. But I think that might In be the a series. Of man and Holly's listening, I was about to say, John's I think dead. that's one you might not have heard yet. Yeah. <laughs> I'm tempted to like make something crazy up about it now. Yeah, but no, like I won't. In it or something. <laughs> I know that ridiculous. would be crazy. <laughs> As if that had happened. Da, 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 da. Um, yeah, we won't delve too much into that. But the the sixth Doctor being a master of disguise does return. I also love um, I love Jago as a master of disguise. He like he only does it. A few times in the so series joking. I've heard, but it's very, very funny. Every like it's so obviously Christopher Benjamin putting on a voice, and every time like yeah. it's like, oh, who is this mysterious stranger? It's great. I love it. It's like Henry, I'd never have guessed it was you. <laughs> By Jove, I, I can't believe it. <laughs> um, okay, well let's move on a teeny tiny bit. Um, let's talk about the first appearance. Let's talk about the talons of Wing Triang, which is um, it's it's considered to be one of the greats, really, isn't it? Talons. Um, there are some things that have kind of been reassessed quite reasonably in recent yes. years. Um, you know, some should we say production choices. But overall, as a story, it does still stand up. Um, and fans have been sort of saying for years and years, come on, yeah, let's have a Jago and Lightfoot spin-off series. And it finally happened a long, long, long time after Talons had been broadcast. Um, so I guess what I'm asking you guys is, does Talons stand out? What is it that makes it stand out, if so? And um, what is it that makes Jago and Lightfoot so loved above goodness knows how many other Robert Holmes double acts? Uh, so, Holly, you go first. Um, yeah, I mean, it's a classic for a reason, isn't it? I... The rat. 
I, I, I do struggle sometimes to look, not sometimes, I, I, mean, I do struggle to look past uh, the racism, basically, which, like, it would, it would, it would be bad enough if it was just a white guy playing Chang, but, like, I think it is ingrained in the story as well, it's, it leans into all those stereotypes with the... Oh, definitely, the whole... Yeah, everything in the story is derived from those it's, racist stories. It's playing up Fu Manchu, isn't it? Which yeah. was inherently racist. It was written to be racist. Yeah, which um, yeah. is obviously uh, unfortunate. And yeah, it's it's hard, I find it hard to look past. But it's kind of it's a shame because I love pretty much everything else about Talons except its portrayal of its of its Chinese characters and. Chinese culture um yeah like the so the dialogue <laughs> throughout I think is genuinely some of the best dialogue in the entirety of of classic who uh it's such mm-hmm. a witty script and I think I think Jago and Lightfoot get the bulk of that as well like they are immediately endearing and just charming in their kind of Britishness and their decency and in how immediately out of their depth they are um and i always forget as well when i watch it that they don't even meet until like is it part four or five part five it's mad. Part, it's part five, five. Yeah. i think it's that that last two episodes in the tunnels or whatever where they actually meet yeah it's ridiculous but they instantly fall into this double act that feels so natural and like they've just been best mates since always um and i think i think it is a testament to the writing but i think it's as much Benjamin and Baxter just being uh, incredible. <laughs> yeah, as much as it is the writing. I think it's great. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, do you have any thoughts, Tom? No, I have to agree. Like, it is... It's definitely Holmes's wittiest script, I feel. Um, it's, yeah, just insanely clever, a lot of the uh, dialogue. Um, Tom's got some cracking lines in it. As for why I th- I think Jago and Lightfoot stand out amongst like other uh, Holmesian double acts because there's quite there's quite a couple. Um, I think it is definitely at least a huge part down to the actors. I, th- I think without Benjamin Baxter, I don't think we would have gotten you know a, a Jago and Lightfoot series. Um, if you know, I think they they just brought like that spark to the characters and to their chemistry on screen that I think made people want to see more of them. But I think it is also just because it's a a really good story itself. So I think it's the the mixture of it being revered as a classic as well as having the really great actors. It's I think it's that mixture that made it I guess so desirable for there to be a follow up. Yeah, and um, interesting, really, what you say about it being Robert Holmes' wittiest script. Uh, I'd agree with you. I think it is. And I don't think he was actually trying to go for witty Mm. uh, on Talons. I think it just came very naturally. When you look at something like The Sunmakers, which is sort of, it's very political, it is having a stab at sort of a tax office and that kind of thing. I was just about to mention The Sunmakers. Um, it, it's it's actually a lot wittier than that and it's not trying to be a comedy or not trying to sort of satirise something um, 
What were you going to say about the Sunmakers, Holly? No, just just that uh, that's the other one I immediately think of when I think of uh, witty Bob Holmes scripts. I think I think Talons yeah. and I think the Sunmakers. Um, I think Talons yeah. edges it for me though because it isn't, like you said, it isn't trying to be funny. It isn't a comedy piece. So I think then it does stand out when you have got Jago saying like really funny lines and stuff like that. Whereas Sunmakers from the you know the very beginning is quite a a funny comedic piece, you know, satire sort of thing. Is it is it not trying sort to be funny lot. though? Talent, like I think in in places it is. I mean, Palace is trying to be funny, but it isn't a comedy story. No. Where I think the Sunmakers is quite a silly story. So where it's just like sort of Robert Holmes just taking the make for. Yeah, that's fair. I think what they also both have in oh, common well. is um, it, the 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 great showcases for Leela. I think that's where a lot of the comedy in, in Talons comes from, apart from obviously mm. Jago that goes goes without saying, but um Yes. Yeah, that whole Pygmalion vibe and yet I think I think it uses that to send up Victorian values more than it's sending up her perceived ignorance. Um yeah, mm. I think that's a clever use of, of Leela basically. I think season fourteen is has a lot of clever uses of Leela, um, like the first couple of stories, I feel like uses a maybe it's better than season fifteen in some cases. I know some makes it season fifteen, but mm. like Talons is one of the first stories, isn't it? It's like it's so third overall, third, I think. Yeah, which well, if you include Big Finished, it's like her seven yeah. millionth, but um, seven million on TV. Yeah, this, this leads into Destination Nerva, doesn't it? They've got the costumes, which is really yes, important. they're still. They're still dressed for Victor, Victorian London. Do you stalk crinkling sounds? But um... I, uh, I'd agree. Actually, it's the first few stories of Leela, uh, where it's very much the Doctor trying to educate her. I guess kind of Eliza Doolittle style. Yeah, which I feel like they um, sort of do lose as it goes on, but yeah, it it does seem to get dropped, but. Um, sort of robots of death and talents of Wang Chiang in particular mm. certainly stick to it. Horror of Fang Rock does to a lesser extent as well, I suppose. Yeah. But yeah, um, that's when it does kind of start to wear off a bit. All the stories after that just seem to happen. Um, you know, they get dragged into the Invisible Enemy and the Sunmakers. I can't remember how they end up there in the Sunmakers. I think it's well, just the case of just... it's just a case of the TARDIS deciding, oh, we're going to go here now. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's there's definitely a purpose to the travels for the those first few stories, um, which then kind of disappears a bit. Um, but yeah, Talons, very very strong story, somewhat problematic, but I think that. I certainly find it's worth looking past the problems because there is, regardless, still a very, very strong story in there, a very enjoyable story. And um, I think you have to sort of take them just both at the same time. Like, there's some excellent writing, there's some excellent design. Oh, it looks so gorgeous, sort of the sets and the costumes. It really it's does. Like, the whole atmosphere. Even so, sort of the yeah. film work is just, oh, it's so atmospheric. Like, compared to, like, I don't know, 10 years later with, like, Worries of the Deep, 
like the lighting it's just like amazing it, lo- it looks so good especially like a lot of it's filmed studio like mm. they just make it like the the caves and the, not the caves but the the little the lair thing in the last two parts it just looks so like filmic it's, it's great stuff um which yeah i think that's what i was gonna say yeah i think they uh I think Philip Hinchcliffe knew he was going so very deliberately kind of through caution to the wind budget-wise and massively overspent, but as a result, we did get what you could argue is the best-looking classic Doctor Who story there is. Um, I think you'd struggle to find anything that looks nicer. Yeah. Except maybe the Robots of Death. Yeah, Robots looks good as well. The model-working Robots is great. I think actually when you when you really look into it and when you really, really kind of break down budgets and how much money was worth at the time with inflation and that kind of thing, season 14 was actually the, the one that had the most spent on it or the most available to spend on it in real terms. It, it shows as well. You can absolutely see that uh, series 14 benefits from that in a way that no, yeah, they all look really it. good in season fourteen, don't they? Like Deadly Assassin looks great. They've got obviously got Massacre, which is like gorgeous. Like it's a, it probably is one of the prettiest classic seasons. I've never really thought about that, but but yeah, I think in real terms it was the one that had the most money available. Um, I mean, I'm I'm sure there'll be an economist or just somebody that's read into it properly that can maybe prove me wrong on that, but um, I seem to remember reading that somewhere. Um, but yeah, season fourteen, excellent, and it's it's quite fitting that these two very very popular and well loved characters came out of that. Uh, let's return to uh, Big Finish, Jacob and Lightfoot. Then uh, we've talked about standout series, but let's look at some standout stories. So I'm going to ask you for, doesn't have to be your favourite, but just a story that stands out, one you particularly enjoy. So, Holly, you go first. Uh, Well, in terms of standing out, I don't think, I, I feel like Encore of the Scorchies from Series 8 is got to be the most obvious one. Uh, it Obviously, it's a, mu- it's a musical episode, and I think, I think it really, I think it really suits Jager and Lightfoot to do a musical episode at all, um, given the whole theatre stuff and the vaudeville-ness of it all. Um, and I think musical episodes in general kind of, well, obviously they, they basically live or die on, on whether or not the songs and the music and the lyrics and everything is great. And I think I think it pretty much universally is in Encore. Like the story itself is maybe quite slight, but it's really not about that. I think it's just, it's so much fun. Um, yeah, so I love it. I have all those songs. Like, they they frequently get stuck, get stuck in my head for no reason. Which Joe is, only is a thing. That's the not Scorchies. Not Scorchies, um, no. The Scorchies, just, they just produce so many amazing songs. Why isn't there, there needs to be more Scorchies stuff. I feel like I want David Tennant versus the Scorchies. <laughs> Yes. Bring back Joe is making a thing. Exactly. <laughs> oh dear. Joe is making another thing. 
it's going to be stuck in my head for the rest of time now. <laughs> oh, I, I just managed to purge it from the last time I listened to the Scorchies, and now it's back in my head. head Joe is making a thing. It's never going away. Joe is never going to stop making a thing. Because Joe is making a thing. Um, what about you, Tom? A standout Jago and Lightfoot episode. I mean, Holly mentioned it earlier, but the double whammy of the man at the end of the garden and Swan Song, like they are just amazing stories. I mean, Matthew Sweet is, I think, by far the best writer for the range. Uh, he also did Encore, didn't he? Am I right in saying that? I think I'm right. In no, that was. No. I think it was James Goss, and then. Oh, that makes sense. Oh my yes, gosh, I should was. know this. But yeah, for me, I just I really love Matthew Sweet's story so far. He did um, yeah, they're just really unique. Um, the Mountain Into Garden's got some really interesting, um, fairy tale esque uh, motifs throughout it. It's sort of like it's definitely it's a really whimsical story, but then it's got quite a grounded ending. Um, yeah, it's just it just really uh, stood out to me in a way that I wasn't expecting it to. And then Swan Song's just, yeah, it was a really beautiful story about um, memories, about, like, the, the it gives an identity to the palace theatre, and it sort of accentuates the, um, it sort of puts a highlight on Jacob's relationship with the theatre, and the, there's also some really cool time travel stuff in it. It's just, a, it's a really great um yeah, just the two stories back to back are just really awesome. I with 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 the chronoclasm, I really like the idea of sort of the place being haunted, but it's Jago and Lightfoot that are haunting it. It's they are the ghosts mm. kind of thing. Um, and it was it's a fascinating idea giving these characters a glimpse into the future. Well, the dual um, narrative, yeah, it does really work. See, I feel like Swan Song is actually a much better example of putting Jago and Lightfoot in the future than Series 5 was. I feel like seeing Jago and Lightfoot in that sort of scientific uh, setting was just really cool and interesting, and it it felt so alien in a way that, um, say, the Blood Child Codex from Series 5 didn't. It That just felt like, you know, like Swan Song definitely felt like m- m- from the first scene, it's obviously yeah, it opens with the modern day characters, and it's sort of the they're the point of view for the audience. The Jaguar Light for sort of these like yeah like the ghosts, and I think that's definitely if they ever did obviously you know if they ever hypothetically were gonna do that again, I think that's how I would have preferred it. Where like Jaguar Light for being more like the not the point of view the have someone from the modern day be the point of view. You and Jake and Lightfoot, who are in a, a different setting in the future, like the past, or whatever. Yeah, it's I, I know what you mean. It kind of, I, I suppose it's more subtle than you know, series five plonks them in the future, whereas Swan Song kind of. To be gives fair, though, them... Age of Revolution does do what Swan Song does. It gives us the point of view of the detective. And he's viewing he's viewing Jake and Lightfoot, and you're seeing him from the sixties point of view not like you know so i feel like that is just such a much more interesting way to do the fish out of water story rather than just doing it from jake and lightfoot's point of view really 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I um, love I love Swan Song as well. For it just shows us, it feels like it shows us a, a totally new side to to Jago at that, up like that we've seen so far. In that, mm. there's a real like sense of vulnerability that he shows that 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 feels kind of new to him. And I mean, it's got Black Swan as well, which is always kind of sorry, go a piece. It's a beautiful uh, song. I've I've sort of struggled to pick one story. Uh, that kind of stood out above others for me, but I did manage to find one eventually, and that was the monstrous menagerie uh, from series seven, where J- oh, yeah. Jago and Lightfoot are on the run, uh, and they end up hiding in the Doctor's house in Baker Street and being assisted by Arthur Conan Doyle. Um, and it's it's all very, very crazy and Jago and Lightfooty. Um, and uh, it's sort of it's the story of how Conan Doyle was convinced to go back to writing Sherlock Holmes, but it's a running joke all the way through that no one else has read anything he's ever done. They only know him and like him for Sherlock Holmes. Um, so there's quite a bit of comedy that's dragged out of that. Uh, yeah, but yeah, and, and but... that running joke of his insistence that Holmes is definitely dead and never ever coming back. Yes. And then he invents the concept of the prequel for Hound of the Baskervilles. Yeah. Um, no, it's it, it's a good, fun story. It it's, does something interesting with that Jago and Lightfoot on the run thing, which sort of as a storyline is a little bit inconsistent. I think by the end of the set, it's near enough being forgotten about. It's, yes, we're still on the run, but... Um, there's various other things happening as well. And... I mean, the story arcs in Diego and Lightfoot aren't the uh, and are not the main feature of Diego and Lightfoot. They the an incidental thing, really. Uh, the The characters and the setting is the the main appeal of Diego and Lightfoot. And the individual stories, the actual story arcs, are not. Uh... Yeah, absolutely. It, it's the the arcs do take a back seat. Um, and uh, I've sort of, I've seen it described uh, that in quite a few series, there's kind of a bad guy that's on Jago and Lightfoot's level as they go through, and then something happens to make them super powerful uh, in the last episode, and that's when it kind of kicks in. But yeah, essentially, what you've got is a thread from the final episode that just runs through the whole series in the background. But I'd agree, the individual stories are what really kind of makes it um any anything else any other stories that you would like to mention talk about at all um what else do i like oh theater of dreams theater of dreams from series two um i'm really keen on on that like it's it is very meta and i guess that could be annoying like i really meta things annoy me frankly but i think it gets the balance just right of like still first and foremost being a really really solid Jago and Lightfoot story and then with just a little bit of like a wink to the to the listener of and yeah maybe we're fictional kind of thing but um yeah I think it gets that balance right and I love the I love the, the whole concept I find it really easy to visualize the idea of them kind of being in a set of the Red Tavern and that 
sort of weird, creepy vibe it's got going on as they slowly realise that things aren't quite as they seem. Um, yeah, so that's another favourite of mine, I think. And there's that whole kind of they keep thinking they've snapped back to reality, but in fact they haven't, and they've just seemed to be lost yeah, in this inception, sort inception of exactly inception like <laughs> dream. Um, yeah, no, it's a very good story. Uh, anything else, Tom? Uh, I mean, I'd, I'd like to give a shout out to Mahogany Murder, the Murderers. Uh, that I've listened to that so many times now. It's just such a easy, fun listen. That. The framing device is just, it's such a great reintroduction to these characters after like 30 odd years it was at the time. I mean, it's on, yeah, yeah, about that. Yeah, we talked about it on the Companion Chronicles episode mm. uh, that we did a few weeks ago. And um, it's, yeah, we agreed that yeah. sort of, that it uses the framing device. Like the cliff, oh, the so cliffhanger well. is one of my favourite cliffhangers ever. Yeah, it's uh, such a great know, like, Jay's like, uh, oh, you're right. Yours was better, sort of thing. <laughs> it's just so funny, and oh, I love it. It's um, yeah. It was just a, it's just a really gentle and nice release, and it's just a great yeah introduction to the series as a whole. It's um, even though it's not essential, I would say it is pretty essential if you can listen to Jake on Life. Because it's just such a, it's just such a, a tone setter. It feels like that is the mission statement for what the entire series it is. Just nice gentle adventures in a quite luxurious setting you know quite well, not a, a rich setting um with just two really fun characters of great chemistry and it, it does set up quite nicely for that first series as well it, oh, it's definitely. you know it introduces tulp and kind of he gets away at the end and there's the whole oh we'll we'll meet him again thing which obviously they yeah. do in the first full series, so yeah, it's it's nicely linked. Like you and say, not mean, essential that listening. Be like but... ten presser talks for like the rest of the seasons. Yes. <laughs> I'm I, I'm surprised they didn't reach the point where they were just like, just change a letter. It'll be a different villain. It's Professor fine. Mulp. Professor Pult. <laughs> Professor that is Steam another thing that I appreciate stick. about series five and four actually. In four, four is the one with um Kempston and Hardwick, isn't it? Which yes, I really like that they're like a deliberate double act. They feel like almost the anti Jago and Lightfoot. Yeah. Which is cool. Um, and then series five, you've got uh, Guinevere Godiva, I think she's called. And yeah. I did yeah. appreciate a female villain finally, five series in. That was that was nice. Saying that she's just a, a Magnus real shill. Yes. But apart <laughs> from that. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I'd agree. All, all very, very good stuff. I mean, the, there are a lot of very good episodes in there, and you guys do still have some good episodes to go. Um, the, the, there's something consistently great in each set, it's right up to the end. You're guaranteed one sort of very standout episode. Heard, uh, season fourteen of you, Johnston. No, I've not done the audiobooks so yet. You've still got more. So I do. I I like knowing I've got just a tiny bit more Jago and Lightfoot in your eye um, to go. And I decided to take a break when I'd heard Jago and Lightfoot forever because I did think that actually it was just it, it was such a lovely ending. It you know they were forced to stop. It was very sad that they had no choice but to stop. Obviously they yeah. lost um, Trevor Baxter, but. 
I, I really liked Jago and Lightfoot forever. And when I listened to it, I kind of I wanted to let that be the ending for a little bit, which is you know what it what it was. Um, there was a good few years between that and the series fourteen audiobooks. So yeah, I'm just I'm letting that be the ending for a bit, and then I will revisit those audiobooks at some point, not too far down the line. Yeah, I think I'm gonna do series fourteen, and then and then Jago and Lightfoot forever. Yeah, same. Um, Thanks. Forever picks up where thirteen leaves off. Oh really? To sort of yeah, it, it's it well all series end on a cliffhanger. It's not a spoiler to tell you that thirteen ends on a cliffhanger. Um, and forever, kind of. I assume mm. that. I mean, I knew that. I knew. I thought they referenced like the, the ending of series thirteen as sort of a you know oh, well, we got out of that water. Sort that of thing. that's pretty much exactly it yeah. to be honest. But um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But then I thought series fourteen was just done as series fourteen would have done, so they actually properly r- resolved. Well, I'll I'll find but, out. I, mean, I don't. I... I've not listened to it either. But... I'll find out when I visit the audiobooks. But yeah, all right. Well, we will finish up on our usual uh, end of the episode section, which is what else have we been listening to? So it can be big finish, not big finish, anything you want. Just what has been in your ears, Holly? You go first. Um. Well, I heard Jay talking about Heartstopper on this segment not that long ago and mm. I would never presume to talk about a TV show in this section um, so I have been listening to the Better Call Saul Insider podcast which I highly recommend I think the Better Call Saul Insider podcast is a very good podcast I think it is arguably better than the Breaking Bad Insider podcast and oh, wow. I highly recommend it so that is what I have been listening to thank you oh, I might have to have a go at that same, love a bit of Better Call Saul. Better Call Saul podcast wise. Well, yeah. Anyway, we're turning into a Better Call Saul podcast. So I'd better ask you what you've been listening to, Tom. Better, better ask Tom. Uh, better ask Tom. Uh, I've just been listening to Jago and Lightfoot, to be honest. Um, yeah, just Jago and Lightfoot all the way. I also listened to the Star Beasts uh, last week, um, which was no for a reason. Uh, but that's uh, exciting. Sorry, just I'm gonna I'm gonna do the Star Beast soon. I think I've got I got the novel adaptation. No comic book adaptations. Yeah, looking forward to that. Yes, although it's an excellent, it's so fun. Mentioning novel adaptations is interesting because that's what I've been listening to. I'm um, oh. kind of gearing my way up to a big Bernie Summerfield marathon because uh, it's sort of the last big chunk of big finish I've got to listen to. There are a few other series, a few other smaller things, but nothing with sort of the sheer volume of episodes that Benny has. So I've been listening to the novel adaptations that have Benny in uh, as kind of a prelude to going on to Benny's solo stuff. Um, And I've been enjoying them. I think that they're very well done. Some of those stories are very, very complex, and I think the adaptations actually do a really good job of sort of doing them justice without making them too over the top and confusing and as you know a uh, a literary adaptation can sometimes be so yeah I've, I've, I've thoroughly been enjoying those uh, I'm on Theatre of War at the moment which is the first appearance 
of uh, Braxy Attell. Very interesting character who Big Finish have done an awful lot with. Um, so yeah, I'm going to push on with those. So that brings us to the end of the Jago and Lightfoot episode. We've got another one, another one done, another one in the can. Yes. Excellent. Splendid. Um, indeed. So uh, all that remains is to say goodbye and thank you to you guys. So thank you and goodbye, Holly. Thank you and indeed goodbye. And thank you and goodbye, Tom. Thank you and goodbye, Johnson. And at some point over the next few weeks, we're going to start um, an occasional series that we're going to do, which goes through every... Oh. Uh, it's not Better Call Saul. <laughs> Better stop sure? talking about Better Call Saul. <laughs> it's, um, we're going to go through Doctor Who season by season. So we're going to start with season one in 1963 and we're going to work our way through. So that will be a sort of occasional series that we put online every now and again. Okay, well, that is it. So thank you very much for listening and we'll see you soon. Goodbye now. Goodbye.